It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. Six thirty, Chad. All right, well, definitely having some fun with this Father's Day material. We had uh, Mike Riley's father, Pat, on on Monday. Last night, we had Kale Clegg and Jason Clegg. Kale will be drafted. Maybe late first round, more likely uh, early second round defenseman out of the Brandon Wheat Kings. His father, Jason, played goal in the WHL, played for the Lloydminster Border Kings, and won an Allen Cup. Tonight in studio with Edmonton Oilers Center, Mark Letestu and his father, Garth. Again, thanks a lot for coming in, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, are, is Mark, I'll ask Garth this, is Mark the most famous uh, resident native of Elk Point? Is Elk Point where they have the statue of the wood, the woodsman? Peter Fiddler. Yeah. Peter, Peter Fiddler. Fiddler. Yeah, absolutely. It's Peter Fiddler. <laughs> I didn't, I'm sorry I didn't yeah. know the name. What is Peter Fiddler's story? <laughs> He's just a statue at the end of town. I don't just, know his story. He's just a statue. <laughs> well, for some reason, they were they were inspired to build a statue. I don't know. It's like you know that, that's the great thing. So I I I worked in Lloydminster, obviously. So we call that region the Midwest, right? The, the two sides. <laughs> yeah. of the, I don't know if, if, why we call it that. Well, it's the middle of Western Canada. Sure. There we go. Yeah. Whereas the Midwest in the states is actually in the east. Eastern time zone. <laughs> <laughs> so you got uh, Lloydminster has the big border markers. Uh, Glendon's got the pierogi. Was it Wilkie Saskatchewan has the giant grasshopper? <laughs> you can keep going. St. Paul. Yeah. Oh, Smoky Lake's the pumpkins. Yeah. St. Paul's the UFO landing pad, yeah. which I don't know what it's hey. used for. I'm sure teenagers might use it for some <laughs> stuff after the dance. Uh, Mondaire's got the ring of sausage. Mondaire's got the sausage. Yeah. Uh, Vegarville's got the egg. And Elk Point has the statue that no one knows what the guy did. Yeah, and we're going to leave out some small town in that area. And oh, they're just furious they're right sorry. now. Sorry. Macklin's got the giant bunnock bone. There you go. Yeah. Have you guys ever played bunnock? No. I have. And? I got family in Saskatoon, so it's a Saskatchewan thing. It, it's fun. I, I'm not great at it, but it's fun. I should have. Kind of like your golf game, right? My golf game's horrible. Yeah. Do you golf in the summer? <laughs> I try, but you get kids. Like, I got three of them. You actually have real responsibilities. I have no time like for it. So if I'm sneaking away, it's because a friend's coming to town, and that's our excuse to get away. You have uh, three kids now? Three of them, yeah. One's uh, still under a year old, right? Yeah, just. Actually, next month, she'll be turning one. Okay, and then you and then you have uh, another son and daughter? No, two boys. Two uh, boys, sorry. Yeah, Are they playing hockey? This will be his first year. I had to go through the whole uh, sign-up process this year. I had the, the respect in sport, uh, the hour uh, course I had to take to make sure I'm not yelling at refs and being respectful. And It's quite a process now. It's not like when he had to take me to hockey. 
make sure he's got a helmet on and some skates and <laughs> juice box and away you go. There you yeah. go. What kind of a hockey dad are you going to be, Mark? And you're, unfortunately, you're going to miss most of the <laughs> hockey season playing for the Oilers. Yeah, apparently, but. not a good one. Uh, <laughs> no, supportive. You know, I, that's the way I'd like to be is just supportive and I let the coaches coach. Uh, I think that that's what they're there for. Uh, they're there to help the kids and. You know, if if he wants to ask me for help, that's great. But I think it's just the role for me is to be dad, uh, to be supportive and, and let him know that we're watching, we're proud of him. In this city, is it hard for you to be out in public and not be an Edmonton Oiler? No, because it's really, it's what I am. You know, mm-hmm. if if there's fans or, or somebody that wants to come up and say hi or come up and tell me I didn't play so great last Friday, that's fine. That, that comes with the territory. Uh, that's part of being an Oiler because when you're going through the tough times like this, you know, there's going to be heat, but... You know, when we're in the playoffs, when we're winning, uh, you know, it's going to be great to be an Oiler. Uh, so you take the good with the, you know, the good with the good, and the bad comes with the bad. Garth, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Mike Riley's dad the other night. I mean, you're going to hear criticism about your son, whether you're in a game or I, I do it. I mean, I have to. I mean, I've known Mark a long mm-hmm. time, but I got to say when he doesn't doesn't play well. So when you hear stuff like that. Uh, I mean, well, maybe you just ignore it, or maybe you don't expose yourself to it. But how do you deal with that as a father, hearing negative stuff about your son? That that might be unfair sometimes. Well, yeah, and unfair most times. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> I get I'm very protective of him, and I I usually uh, try to block it out, and and I don't pay attention. Try not to pay attention to it too much. Yeah. And uh, fortunately, there there hasn't been a lot of negative criticism about Mark, so that's been great. Do you guys ever talk to each other about how? You played, Mark? He's the, the, the first call after every game. <laughs> yeah. So I'll Still. call Dad. Uh, <laughs> there's some games where I won't uh, call, you know, when I know what the answer is going to be because I <laughs> sometimes there's some, some harsh words on the other end. Uh, so <laughs> from, now, what his is mother, from his mother. From his mother. Okay, now is that about execution or is that about work ethic? Work ethic is what we look at more yeah. than anything. Yeah. And his mom wants him to shoot the puck all the time. Yeah, that's been mom's answer since I was yeah. eight. You know, yeah. shoot the puck, shoot, shoot the, the puck. puck, shoot the puck. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you sh- you no. got a couple nice long range ones. Yeah, well, you know, some no. some some hockey analysts on this station might say you can't consistently score from distance. Well, I can. And I can do it on the power play, guys. <laughs> He's got a great shot. Just needs to shoot the puck. <laughs> um, Mark, um, just another question about this past season about your game. And I'll well, I, I won't ask you. I'll preface this with with my thought. I thought you I thought you played too much. I think you're a valuable player on the team, but I thought you wound up playing too much some nights. And that's usually what I'll tell people too. Uh, it's. It, the w- worst thing you want to go into a coach's office is to tell them to stop playing you. Uh, <laughs> you know, you never want to do that. But circumstances are what they were this year. Uh, we had injuries. Uh, we had other players not performing. Uh, and I think in, in some situations, Todd trusted me as a player out there and put me out there. Uh, and I'm never going to turn around and tell him no. You know, I've never done a lineup card. I've never put myself on the ice. Uh, I do what I'm told. Uh, so when I'm playing too much, uh, you know, I'm, just, I'm being put out there, and there's a job for me to do. Uh, but I think if if I could dial back the ice time and maybe the role I played, uh, you know, it'd probably be beneficial to me and to my team. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I need the players around me to, to make sure they're performing and to stay healthy, and there's a lot of things that go into it. Uh, so 
again, if, if he tells me to go out there, I'm going. Uh, that, that's part of my job as a hockey player, to be ready whenever I'm called upon. All right, I'm going to ask you the question that you most you often get asked by fans. What's it like to be Connor McDavid's teammate? <laughs> it's it's really interesting because I've... You know, I, I'm one of the few guys that have got to play with Sydney, and then I've got to play with Connor. Obviously, at different points of their career. Uh, you know, Connor being a young player, I feel like I have uh, an opportunity to influence uh, sometimes, uh, maybe in the what he's doing away from the rink or the way he approaches practice. Or and and don't get me wrong, this guy's he's pretty incredible. He's been he's been coached his, his whole life to be this person who he is, and he's pretty special. Uh, but. It's pretty amazing to see some of the things he can do. Uh, I mean, that first game back against Columbus, the goal he scores, uh, you know, and he, he's a boy still, really. Uh, you know, he still is going to grow into his body. He's going to get better. And I think that's what's uh, most exciting as, as a teammate. And you see what greatness does. I mean, Sidney's raising his second Stanley Cup. Uh, for myself to be around that, to be around people like Connor, and I know it's, it sounds like we're putting a lot of pressure on him, but. Uh, players are going to flock to that because they want to be a part of uh, of greatness, and hopefully he can be uh, a catalyst for that here. It doesn't it doesn't seem to to phase him. I mean, pressure it can be a tough thing for anybody, but I mean, I've called him a hockey savant. Like he just, but like he's totally engaged. He strikes me as the type of guy where, when he was four years old, he decided that no, ev- ev- everything I do in my life has to funnel towards being the best possible hockey player. Well, and I think that leads into what I said about him feeling like he's been coached. You know, he's he's handled this, uh, the phenom label. Uh, you know, he's probably been the, the first pick in this draft for, you know, the past five or six years or, or what have you. So he, he's been kind of carrying this load on his shoulders for a long time. And I probably after being drafted and finally playing in the league, it's probably a bit of a relief for him uh, to just play and to just go out and, and prove uh, he's as good as everybody says he is. Mark Latestu and his dad, Garth, in studio. All right, Garth, so now what are you going to do on free agency day? Mark's not a free agent. He's just going to chill out and enjoy uh, Canada am, Day this year? I know, I'm looking forward to what's going to happen. I think it's going to be a great, uh, up until the draft, it's going to be super, and even after the draft, it's going to be exciting to be watching and, and listening. Yeah. L- look, Mark, you're not you're not the GM of the team. Maybe, you know, after you retire with your business management degree, that'll, that'll happen. But... Uh, you you always know there are going to be changes with with a team. How, I mean, do you think about that in the summer as a player? Well, this this guy might not be back. This guy might not be my teammate anymore. Oh, I was on. A, I like this guy. I mean, how do you sort of navigate through all the all the possibilities that could happen to your roster in the off season? Yeah, I'm not I'm not playing you know fantasy sports at home and trying to predict the you know the lineup or. You know where we're going to make moves or, or what we're going to do. Uh, there's people above my pay grade that take care of that stuff. Uh, for me, you know, I like to watch. I like to know what's going on with my team. Uh, you know, if we make a trade or or sign somebody, I like to you know exchange text messages or talk with whoever's going out or coming in. But uh, my main focus is just to get ready for for training camp. Uh, the people in my situation or players in my situation, you know, normally role guys. Uh, I have to be ready uh, because that's usually somebody's knocking on the door ready to take my job if, if I'm not ready. So uh, by no means do I think my, my spot or my position's safe, and, and I have to be in camp ready to go uh, at the highest level I can possibly be. Got a uh, text here to 63630. We were talking about uh, landmarks. Uh, this person says, don't forget Vilna's mushrooms. <laughs> See? We did it. Sounds magical. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I really appreciate that you guys made time for uh, Inside Sports. Mark, great that you're sticking around Edmonton most of the summer and uh, and you're involved in the community. I know fans are always happy to hear that. And uh, Garth, uh, thanks for keeping Elk Point rolling. And uh, incre- I'm sure increasing the, the listenership in Elk Point tonight. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Thanks it's great you. being here. That was Garth Latestu and his son, Mark, from the Edmonton Oilers. This is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. You're listening to 630 Chet Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Well, thanks again. Mark Latestu and his father, Garth, in studio for the last 45 minutes inside sports on 630 Chet. Really cool stories about... Uh, Mark's starting to play hockey as a uh, little guy and his journey to the National Hockey League. Garth's experience as a, a parent, uh, keeping uh, Mark on the track to uh, to get his education, get a scholarship out of the AJHL. Uh, Mark was the MVP of the Alberta Junior League in 2006 with a very good Bonneville Pontiacs team. Quick quiz for Matthew Panashik. We're not, we, we, the last time uh, we did the show together, what did, <laughs> what, what did we call it? The Matthew Panashik Trivia Challenge. I believe I went four of six. You went four of six and one. We're, this is an exhibition challenge. Okay. Which teammate of Mark Letestu's from the 2006 Bonneville Pontiacs is currently also in the NHL? That's a that's a tough one. Holy. Well, it's you. You know that stuff better than I do. That's for sure. Oh, Justin Fontaine. Wow, I would have never. <laughs> I could have given you 300 guesses and you oh. would have got it. There would have been nothing there. Would have been blank. Uh, Shooting blanks, buddy. That's pretty good. Two players off the same uh, AJHL team in the NHL. Yeah. That's, that's pretty cool. 822 Inside Sports on 630 Ched. This hour presented by Action Furnace, home of the fixed right or its free guarantee. We were talking uh, U.S. Open golf starts tomorrow. Oakmont Country Club in uh, Pennsylvania. Rory McIlroy saying the mental game, very important. That's what's going to win it for you this week is, is how people can keep their calm and keep their composure and when you feel like you've hit a good shot and it runs off the green um, but you get it up and down and you keep the momentum going and if you can just string a lot of pars together and maybe pick up a birdie or two. The defending champion is Jordan Spieth, knows those greens are going to be treacherous. It's very much speed-based. You really just have to be careful. You can't let your mind slip on these greens for one moment or else you're going to be left with possibly a you know, 10 to 15 footer on the next putt, if not worse. And world number one Jason Day does not mind the pressure of being considered a favorite. I'm number one in the world. I'm you know, probably one of the favorites to win uh, this week and still that's a lot of pressure. But it's good pressure to have because I'd much rather have that pressure than be one of the, you know, you know at the end of the field and, and no one expecting you to win. All right, so they'll get going tomorrow. Tough course, likely over par, will be the winning score. Yakushev's texting into 630-630. He says, the U.S. Open is going to be a great tournament to watch. Here's a tip from a non-pro. If you're having a bad front nine, I've always found a beverage or two helps the swing on the back nine. That is from Yakushev. Yeah, for a non-pro, probably not something the players tomorrow <laughs> will use. And here's Spieth now. He's done a shot of tequila as he gets ready for this wedge into the green. Hello, friends. <laughs> Jim Nance. He always starts out with that. The U.S. Open's on Fox. Yes, it is. So it'll be Joe Buck. 
Joe Buck, Paul Azinger, they fired Greg Norman. Yeah, thank goodness. <laughs> Whoa, wow. What's with the hatred for Greg Norman? He just was no good. You don't no like good. Australian people? He was no good. He actually wasn't that good. You're right. No, oh, he was bad. Uh, here's the thing about Greg Norman. A great golfer. I mean, one of the best of his era at a really high level, but he is remembered for primarily for what, unfortunately? For not winning major. He won two, which is more than a lot of guys will win. Well, Augusta always nailed him in. Well... Yeah, well, the 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 Faldo thing, but but there were, I mean, in '86 he led every major after round three, and he he only won one of them, right? And he had some heartbreaking losses. Um, so last year he's doing commentary for the U.S. Open. What happens to Dustin Johnson on the 18th hole? He blows it. He's got a 12-footer to win, like a four or five-footer to tie and get in a playoff. Misses that, and Norman doesn't say much as he's walking off the green. Like, this, that'd be the perfect guy to comment on blowing a tournament. That's why he's gone for. <laughs> Back to Australia. Uh, this texture says, hey, Reed, is that ball-stealing crow still in Evansburg? You know what? That was, that was not <laughs> – I told that story on Monday night. Uh, when did I golf? I golfed yesterday. I don't even have my Dave's tra- – the, the crow stole my ball yesterday at Devon. That's what happened. I played horrible, but on this one shorter par four, I teed off with a four iron, and I actually hit a really good shot right down the middle of the fairway. And my playing partner and I walk out, and it's like, where is my ball? Like, it, like it was down the middle. What, like, one of the rare shots I actually hit that bisects the fairway. There's no way it could have rolled into the rough, into the bush, bounced off something. It was right there, and we're walking around looking for it. So finally, I just dropped where I thought it probably would have stopped and hit my approach shot from there and then as we're leaving that green there's a crow hopping around the fairway and I bet you the crow stagged my ball and deposited it somewhere and then came back and was looking for more uh, I golfed near Evansburg last week that's what that texture is referring to I golfed uh, Trestle Creek out near Entwistle in Evansburg hadn't been out there before it's very nice and I actually had a good round yesterday's round was not good Matthew Panashik. You you would have been ashamed to know me wasn't one of Wilkie's finest moments, eh? Well, you're not supposed to hit the ball straight sideways on multiple occasions throughout your round. <laughs> I've done that. I've yeah. done that. But it feels awful, doesn't it? It's like, embarrassing. That's the worst possible. <laughs> like, like, I mean, it's a, it's not straight sideways, but like 75 degrees sideways, right? Like, just bad. It's embarrassing when your partners have to back up and then be yeah. behind you the whole rest the whole round, right? <laughs> Everybody, you know, everybody's like watching from behind. What are you guys doing? Oh, we're just making sure that your stance is proper. Yeah, right. They're just making sure you don't get killed on the course. Big initiative for female hockey in Edmonton. Details coming up. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Ched. So the Toronto Blue Jays win 7-2 over the Philadelphia Phillies. Estrada gets the victory. He went six and two-thirds. He only allowed four hits. He struck out five. And Carnation and Donaldson homering once again for the Blue Jays. 17 for Edwin, 16 for Josh. Other game of note, Red Sox over the Orioles, 6-4. So, 
Blue Jays now uh, two back of both those teams for first place in uh, the American League East. There you go. Blue Jays obviously doing a lot better lately than they were to start the season. Your scoreboard is presented by Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, you can visit crystalglass.ca. Good to have you tuning in tonight. Uh, you know, pretty pretty uh, cool news here to tell you about, and pretty significant. The Edmonton Female Athletic Cup Club is going to start play for the 16-17 hockey season. The uh, U of A Pandas Hockey Programming partnering with Hockey Edmonton to form the first ever female-only hockey club. I was surprised to learn that, and I'm pleased to welcome to the show to talk about that the uh, head coach of the U of A Pandas team, Howie Draper, and Darwin Bozek, who's going to be coaching the uh, midget AAA Pandas hockey team as part of this club. Howie, you're on with Reed. Good to talk to you again. How are you doing? Good. How are you, Reed? Very well. Darwin, thanks for joining us tonight. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. Right on. Well, uh, I, I got to say, guys, I just mentioned I was surprised that, that this is the uh, first female athletic club um, or only hockey club in in is this in all of Canada guys Darwin I'll start with you yeah it's my understanding how you can expand on that but uh, this is the first endeavor where there's an association or I'll say an affiliation with the uh, uh, CIS university team so I think it's kind of groundbreaking and exciting to be part of yeah, well, Howie, from your perspective, it, and the Pandas have obviously developed a lot of great athletes and, and brought in, I mean, I know there's the, the female AAA Midget League, but uh, but certainly uh, an, an important move, and tell us why it's significant that the Pandas are involved. Well, I think what, what the U of A can bring is a variety of resources that um, I think maybe until now, uh, teams have certainly been, been aware of and, and um, midget AAA teams or, or uh, high-performance teams at the minor hockey level. They've been aware of, and at, at times they've been able to access maybe some here and there, but uh, I think the, the coordination with, through the coordination with the University of Alberta, we, um, we are hoping that the club will be able to access the full gambit. So we're talking um, mental skill training, we're talking nutrition training, obviously there's the physical component, will will help contribute the technical and tactical piece and and there's also some uh some coach mentorship there as well not that uh not that darwin needs a lot of mentorship he's a great coach you know in his own right but um but he's going to be taking part in that as as well so we're going to develop a little bit of a uh think tank if you will of coaches that are involved with this high, high performance program so i think through that we're all going to be getting better which ultimately will be passed on that knowledge will, will be passed on through to each kid in the club yeah how we'll start with you on this one and i mean the pandas uh i guess 20 years now and a yeah. really successful cis program and you've been the coach there for for a long time it, this has to feel like a, a huge step given where you've seen uh, how you've seen women's hockey develop over the last 20 years. This mu- this just must feel like a, a big stride, and you can kind of look back and say, wow, something significant has been accomplished here. Yeah, well, I think the great thing about being involved in female hockey for the last 20 years is that, uh, you know, when I was fortunate enough to get to get involved, it, um, it was really just at the cusp of, of turning into something something great and then it just every year or every five years and something new is happening so this is just another new element that we're all very excited about and you know as the pandas hockey coach we hope to be able to access young athletes and help with their development at a younger age i think 
will only help us because, I mean, there's so much we can do. You know, we miss a lot of critical periods of development for young for young women uh, once they get to the U of A. So, you know, we do the best we can with them, and we've been fortunate. We've had some outstanding athletes, but in this way we can help shape them, and hopefully if they decide to come to the U of A, which is, you know, certainly something that we'd like to see, then um, I think they'll be better athletes for it, and, and that'll help the Pandas hockey team down the road. So, Darwin, you're going to coach the uh, midget AAA team. You had a you had an ID camp, I believe, uh, about about two weeks ago. Tell us uh, uh, how how that went, how many players came out, how impressed were you with the talent level? So, uh, yeah, we a couple of weeks ago we had our camp. We actually limited it to 50. We only had uh, our ice time to allow for 50 players. I think we would have had probably more demand if we even allowed more. But um, coming from a, that program before and coming out of the Parkland Athletic Club, uh, didn't have the numbers that we would have had uh, previously. So we had like the 50 girls, deep talent, high-skilled levels, um, energetic to obviously it was just an ID camp. It wasn't evaluations, but obviously with the coach and the stands, they were out there impressed, worked hard. Uh, but I was just impressed with the, the skill level of, uh, the younger players, especially coming out of Bantam, because I wasn't aware of those players, and then uh, um, just just the way they battle and compete, it was pretty impressive. It's going to be pretty exciting for for tryouts coming in August. Darwin, who are you going to play against? Are you going to jump into that Alberta league, or how, or how will the competition look? Well, the league is the league basically relatively the same stable structure that was before with the the what was it the Alberta Major Midget Female League that was comprised of nine teams. But what they changed through Hockey Alberta, they moved it down to six. So what happened, in, the, in especially in the capital region, we used to have franchises or teams in Sherwood Park and, and Spruce Grove. Those teams uh, no longer exist, so really we only have two teams, i.e. our team, the Pandas, and, and St. Albert. So, you know, you're looking at what otherwise would have been, uh, you know, four teams at 20 players, 80 players, coming down to really 40 roster spots. So uh, you can just... Uh, take calculate that through what in terms of what the competition and skill level is going to be like. So it's going to be like say quite exciting to coach one of these teams. Yeah, and and Howie, give me a sense of I, I want to say this kicked in two years ago, but you'll correct me if I have my timing wrong. Women's hockey, uh, the only CS, CIS sport to allow what what is called the full ride scholarship. Have we seen an impact of, of that already? Is that helping keeping? Canadian players uh, at home and resisting the NCAA temptation, or how has that been working? Yeah, I I think the big thing, Reed, is that um, uh, players are starting to consider the CIS more than they ever have, and uh, so as a result, I think we've seen a few players that have stayed uh, north of the border, which is great. Uh, I think what we're waiting for is a few of those big dominoes to fall. So some national team caliber players, and you know, when they make that decision, then I think there's more players will think, hey, this is something that obviously is uh, it's a viable league, and, and we, can, we can get our development and hopefully, um, you know, get up to that level. So I, I, I think it's happening. I, I certainly I know what's happening. I just think. Hopefully in the next uh, year or so, it'll start to accelerate a little bit. Okay. All right. So, well, this is great. Uh, the uh, U of A Pandas hockey program teaming up with Hockey Edmonton. We have the Edmonton Female Athletic Club. And are, are the team, what, the teams are going to be called, what, the Edmonton Pandas? How will the naming work, guys? Uh, well, sir, go ahead, Darwin. No, I, I was just going to say for, for there's three teams under the athletic club. Uh, the, the team I'll be coaching would be the Pandas Midget AAA team. And then there's going to be the Midget Elite team, and I think uh, we're still finalizing the 
conventions, but it was going to be like the Pandas Midget Thunder, and then the Bantam AAA organization would be the Ma- uh, Pandas Bantam AAA Lightning. So okay. maybe carrying on with the legacy uh, organization names that uh, the Thunder and the Lightning previously had. Okay, awesome stuff. Um, how are you just to the uh, Pandas website to find out more, or Hockey Edmonton, or how can people read up on this? <laughs> well, we're just in the process of of trying to uh, to get some promotional material out there. We haven't quite uh, hit that stage yet. So, uh, very shortly, I, I hope something will be out. I think in the meantime, if people are really interested and they want to get some information, they can contact. Uh, just get in touch with me at the University of Alberta, and then I can help send them in the right direction. If I can't give them the information myself. Okay, awesome stuff. Well, I hope we can t- keep in touch about this, guys. This is a great initiative. Always great to see uh, the game of hockey, and specifically at the uh, uh, for females growing, for sure. This is really exciting stuff for our city. Really appreciate your time, guys. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Reed. Right on. That is Howie Draper checking in tonight, coach of the U of A Pandas, Darwin Bozek as well. He is going to coach the uh, Midget Triple A Pandas team, first ever head coach of that club. Cool stuff, the Edmonton Female Athletic Club getting rolling. It is 8.43, it's Inside Sports on 6.30, Chet. Tell you what we want to do, we're going to take a timeout and then we'll bring in Eric Smith. He follows the Toronto Raptors all year long. He is covering the NBA Finals, which have been extended to Game 6. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Hey, thanks for tuning in tonight. Will it be lights out on the NBA season tomorrow? Golden State with another chance to finish off Cleveland. Joining us from Sportsnet is Eric Smith. Eric, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thanks for making time for us tonight. I, I don't know if you thought you were going to be back in Cleveland today, but I guess a couple members of the Cavaliers did a pretty good job to make sure to make sure another road trip happened for you here. Yeah, be, to be honest, I you know no no disrespect to the fine folks of Cleveland, but I was kind of hoping to not be back. Uh, it would have been would have been nice to be off for another week or so before I head out next week for the NBA draft, and it was a it was a long run with the Raptors. But there are worse things to be doing in in life than to be covering basketball and you know, covering professional sports. So it's, uh, it's not bad to be here, and it's certainly uh, fun to know that either, either Thursday night or, I guess, coming up Sunday, if a Game 7 is fourth, I'll get a chance to, to see the trophy again and to, to see a championship won live and in person. So that's, uh, that's always fun. You know, you were you were going in, and basketball fans were going into that game in Oakland a couple of days ago, thinking, "All right, this is uh, maybe party time in Oakland." And, and Cleveland played well enough to to prolong the series. You were at the practices today. Has the sense changed with the two teams, or is it still Golden State thinking, "Hey, you know, we're we're in command. All we got to do is win a game." And Cleveland still feeling they got their, you know, put themselves in an underdog role, or has it shifted at all? Has the tension shifted at all? Give me a sense of that. I don't think the tension has shifted that much at all, to be honest with you. I, I still think it is uh, a sense of the pressure being on the Cavaliers because, you know, they are facing elimination again. No team in NBA history has come back to win the finals when trailing 3-1. So um, Cleveland would be the first to do so if they're able to obviously not only win tomorrow night in Game 6, but then to go back in Game 7 and, and to win this thing. They'll be the first to ever do it. Um, I'll, I'll throw another stat at you. The Golden State Warriors did not lose back-to-back games at all during the regular season. And, in fact, the first time all year that they lost back-to-back games was in the Western Conference Finals against Oklahoma City, and they haven't lost 
three in a row since November of 2013. So the Cavaliers are facing a major, major task. Because, I mean, you're talking about winning, winning game six is going to be hard enough. And that will be only the second time in the entire year, regular season and playoffs, that Golden State would have lost back-to-back games if that were to happen. But then to go back to their joint, to Oakland on Sunday and win, and win the series for Cleveland to do that, again, it'll be the first time in two and a half years that the Warriors will have lost three in a row. So that is a heavy, heavy task and a heavy, heavy undertaking, I think, for the Cavaliers. And one more for you, another little angle. I, 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 it kind of hit me as I was preparing to go to practice this morning. I thought, I remember being in this position last year where it was a game right before Father's Day weekend and my family saying, are you going to be home for Father's Day or not, or what's going to happen? You know, is Game 7 going to end up being on Father's Day? So I looked it up, and tomorrow is exactly, exactly one year to the day that the Warriors won Game 6 in Cleveland to win the title. It is exactly one year. It was June 16, 2015. So, you know, history uh, playing a factor, I suppose, in uh, everything that potentially goes down tomorrow. Yeah. Well, and uh, the Warriors only lost two home games all season long, right? And then you'd be asking Cleveland mm-hmm. to win two games in Oakland in, in less than a week. So you, uh, you're right. you still got to favor them. E- Eric Smith from Sportsnet joining us. He's covering the NBA Finals, and we're going to talk Raptors in, in a minute here. But I want to ask you one more question about this series. And I know you haven't been around the Warriors all year because you're covering Toronto. But it, to me, Eric, it, it in, in a non-NBA city, obviously, they kind of drew me back into following the NBA a little more closely, not just because of chasing the the 72 win record, but I think just the way they play. They have sort of that almost playground feel to them, a, a lot of joy surrounding their games. I mean, there was that Bulls team that went 72 and 10, but they were more like the big corporation that came in and crushed you. I mean, obviously they were incredibly talented, but you know what I mean? There was almost a different to me, sense around the two teams? When you're actually around the Warriors and around the players, is there that that sense of fun that they that comes across on the TV, or what's it like being around them? There's no denying that they're a, a fun team. They're a close team. They're, they're, you know, they're very tight, I think, from top to bottom in terms of the relationships uh, on and off the floor. Uh, I think even when you think just from a pure basketball standpoint, you can just look back to Game 5 and see how badly they missed Draymond Green in that game out with the suspension and his return for game six I think is going to be huge and it's something that the players on both sides both the Warriors and the Cavaliers were talking about earlier today at their respective practices the difference that Draymond can make uh, and will make being back on the floor in game six but it it extends even beyond him to Andrew Bogut Um, you know the Warriors announcing earlier today he's got deep bone bruises uh, in that left knee Uh, surgery not required but he's going to be out six to eight weeks so he's out the rest of the series and hearing the guys talk about Bogut and his absence and him going down and the impact on their team. And, and, and just, you know, you, you think so much about Green. You think so much about Curry and Thompson, the Splash Brothers, but you forget sometimes about the other very good role players on this team who would be even bigger in other markets if they weren't playing on this deep, talented Warriors team. And, and, and you know, I'll, I'll give you one more story. And this kind of ties into the players and the tightness and the camaraderie and the fun that they have. You know, we often talk about their offense, uh, and rightfully so, but then when you talk about your, their offense, you forget to talk about that they also were, you know, the leaders in terms of assists per game, regularly going for 20, 25, 30 assists per game. They, they play extremely unselfishly in spite of how offensive-minded they are, and especially with the two in Curry and Thompson. But we also forget that they're amongst the league leaders defensively in any major defensive category. They were the, one of the best defensive teams in the league, but we're focusing so much on the offense. But here's the story I was going to tell you. Draymond Green said earlier today, Game five, 
a chance for the Warriors to win the championship. And, of course, we know, again, they failed. Cleveland won the game. But a chance to win the championship. He's suspended. He's right next door at uh, the Oakland A's game. And it's literally anybody that's, that, that, that hasn't been down there, the two stadiums almost touch each other. You can go from the arena to the baseball stadium in less than a minute. And I'm talking walking. They're right side by side. So he's watching the A's game with Bob Myers, the general manager of the Warriors. So I'm kind of twisting your question slightly a little bit in terms of just the fun and the camaraderie. But to me, it extends to the head coach. It extends to the front office, to the general manager. You've got a GM of a team who's had a chance to win the championship on their home floor. And as a sign of solidarity or or whatever, he goes with Green to the baseball game. He doesn't sit in the arena to watch his team, the team that he built. He doesn't even watch them. And had they actually won the championship, he wouldn't be there for the final buzzer. He wouldn't be there for the final shot, whatever. He would have had to come running in with Draymond Green at the end of it to join the celebration. That, to me, speaks to what you were saying in terms of how uh, close-knit this team is, how much fun they have, and how much they pull for each other and have each other's back when you've got the GM sitting with one of his players at a baseball game in a game in which his club could have won the title. I, I think that spoke volumes, and it was interesting when Green relayed that story earlier today here in Cleveland. Yeah, that's incredible. All right, Eric, before I let you go, I mean, we got to touch on the team that uh, a lot of Canadians follow and uh, have fallen in love with over the last couple of years because they've been really good, the Toronto Raptors. I mean, there's the report out there that uh, DeMar DeRozan is going to opt out of his contract. If that is indeed accurate, and I, I would think that it probably is, uh, what exactly does that mean for his future in Toronto or elsewhere? Um, all right, he, he absolutely will opt out of his contract. I mean, if it's, if it's not officially official yet, it certainly will be very soon. Um, he, he had a player option for this coming season in his contract. And uh, basically, DeRozan was, was set to make in the neighborhood of about $9.8 million. Let's just call it $10 million to, to kind of round it off. So he's set to make $10 million this season coming up. If he were to hit the free agent market right now with the money that's being thrown around in the NBA, especially because of that new television contract that came in um, last season, He's going to make $20 million minimum. He could get upwards of $21, $22 million. He's going, to, he's going to at least double, if not more than double, his contract by hitting free agency. So it's an absolute no-brainer. In fact, I think if you took Masai Ujiri in a room and asked him on or off the record, I think he would even tell you. If I were in DeMar DeRozan's shoes or if I was DeMar DeRozan's agent, absolutely you should opt out. I'd be telling him the same thing. I don't think it's a big deal that DeRozan is opting out. It's a financial decision. It's not a decision that has anything to do with the Toronto Raptors. It's not a reflection of how he feels about the team. And my gut tells me when all is said and done and the dust settles, I know there's tons of reports stateside uh, linking him to Los Angeles simply because he's from L.A., grew up, you know, born and raised in Compton. I don't think he's going to L.A. In fact, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's going to be staying with the Raptors. And, and like I say, I, I'll come on your show and, and say I was wrong if it turns out I was wrong. But I honestly believe when, when the dust settles in July, when he uh, – you know, signs that contract. It's going to be a contract extension uh, with the Toronto Raptors, and he'll be back with the Raptors for a, for a good few more years. All right. Well, that's good to hear. Eric, thanks so much for your time, man. Enjoy maybe the last game of the season <laughs> tomorrow night, man. <laughs> I appreciate it. Thanks. That's basketball analyst from Sportsnet, Eric Smith. A lot of fun on Inside Sports tonight. Want to thank Howie Draper, Darwin Bozick, Mark Latestu, Garth Latestu, Taylor Sinski from the Quarry, Morley Scott, Eric Stevens. You heard from all of them. Thanks to all of you who texted and listened. My name is Reed Wilkins, the studio producer this evening. Matthew Panaschik, the producer of the show, is Dave Campbell. Six to nine again tomorrow night. Can't wait. 
630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.